you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 2, verse 8, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible with you or you don't own a Bible, we actually have Bibles that you can take and keep uh, or give away or whatever you want to do with that. Uh, we are continuing in our series called Witness, in which we are currently taking time in this segment of the series to examine the culture that we live in. Uh, and we're doing it for two reasons. Uh, the first is that uh, we, like any missionary, like the Apostle Paul and the authors of Scripture, uh, want to know and understand the culture that we live in so that we can witness to the truth of God uh, in a specific context in a way that's effective, in a way that's relevant, uh, in a way that meets people where they're at. Uh, and second, we want to understand the culture that we live in so that we aren't colonized by the very culture that we are attempting to reach with the gospel. Uh, and I think that's a very real risk for us uniquely in our post-Christian secular context. Uh, and that's the heart behind these words that Paul wrote to the church. This is Colossians 2 verse 8. He says, see to it uh, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, uh, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we uh, take a moment this morning before we even dive into the culture that we live in to just recognize where fullness lies. Uh, the, the scriptures say that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy, but you came to give us life, an, an abundant life, that in you the fullness of deity resides and, and we receive fullness out of your fullness. And so as we uh, examine the culture that we live in, Lord, uh, and some of the ways that we need to speak uh, the gospel into the culture and some of the ways in which we are colonized by the very culture that we live in, God, we just pray for a spirit of freedom in this place. That you would free us and bring us more and more into the fullness of Christ. Do that work this morning in the power of your spirit. And in Jesus' name, amen. If you rewind the clock to the 17th and 18th centuries, a seed was planted. A new culture began to emerge. A new story began to be told. And the story was a reaction against Christianity, and it offered a new perspective, a new take on what it means to be human. And the story went something like this. Human beings are basically good, and we need to follow our hearts, to follow our impulses, and live a life of pleasure. This is the meaning of life. And when we look at human history through this lens, through this perspective, we see high points and low points. And the highest point, the sort of peak of civilization, according to this story, was the Greek and Roman world, uh, full of beauty, full of art uh, and architecture and philosophy, and more importantly, the ability 
to do whatever you wanted and pursue whatever pleasure you desired. But then uh, Christianity spread across the Roman world. I think we have a slide for this. And according to this perspective, darkness fell. We descended into superstition and repressive morality, and hence we call what follows the Dark Ages. An interesting choice of words. And the world, according to this story, persisted in darkness for centuries. But then you have the Renaissance or Renaissance in France, which uh, in French, which can literally be translated renewal or revival. And this is the period in which we rediscovered that life is in fact about me and my pleasure. We need to throw off all religion, throw off all superstition, throw off all authority and all commitment in order to take hold of the ultimate freedom of individuality. We rediscovered what it means to be human and to live for our own pleasure. And so now our goal, in a sense, is to reclaim that worldview. We need to throw off all belief, all authority, and all commitment in order to get there. And so not only do we have a new story being told about what it means to be human, which you can see is sort of a retelling of human history, but we also have a new version of salvation. Because within this secular framework, you are born good. Next slide. And you sort of operate with a degree of freedom and happiness and pleasure in childhood. But then in comes the trauma of life, including what we would describe as the shackles of adulthood and adult responsibilities. And, and you have external authority and, and commitments that you have to make. And according to the secular mindset, all of those things sort of inhibit your, your inner child, your freedom, your pleasure. And, and now you need to get back to that place. So the secular quest is sort of to, to throw off authority, to throw off commitment, to live for pleasure, to sort of uh, rediscover who you really are, to get back to your inner child, so to speak. This is salvation in the secular story. But if the point of your life is to experience pleasure, then anything that stands in the way of your pleasure becomes a bad thing. It, it becomes an evil thing. And so we hate difficult things. And we hate external authority. And we hate commitments and rules and morality because it inhibits my pleasure and my ability to live out my impulses. And if I can't do that, how will I ever discover who I really am? And this story, this version of freedom, has tremendous sway in the cultural moment that we're living in. Across all ages, all genders, all backgrounds, this is the story that we are buying into in the secular West. We're embracing it across the board. But notice that this story 
in both the micro and the macro actually slams against the true story of what it means to be human that we see in Scripture. The Bible says that the the story of humanity actually begins in Eden. This is the place of innocence. This is the place of perfection or something close to it. And then humanity and creation along with it experiences the fall. Uh, Everything is sort of thrown out of whack. And then we have a story of redemption. Starting with the promises that are made to Abraham, but ultimately rising and culminating in the cross and resurrection of Jesus, which then results in uh, the early church, in the book of Acts. This is sort of this, this high point in history. Christ dies for us. We then die to ourselves in responding to Christ. And the door is thrown open for the end goal, which is, which is resurrection, which is recreation, the renewal of all things. A new heaven and a new earth. So we would say that in a sense that the peak of history was Eden, that the Greek and Roman worlds were actually incredible low points in the story of human history, full of idolatry and godless living without hope in the world. And then you have the high point of history, which is actually the coming of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, the early apostolic church, which is full of the Spirit, on fire for God. And and then we see or we kind of sense that perhaps the, the Western church in this moment, it doesn't quite look like the book of Acts. Maybe it's, maybe it's fallen a bit from that. It's grown cold. And, and so now we pray for our own renaissance, our own revival. But we're not trying to get back to the Greek and Roman world. We, we look back at the early church and say, what if we could be like that again? But notice that uh, this storyline, these two storylines directly contradict each other. Uh, In fact, they are inverted. Secular culture says Greek and Rome were the peak. Pleasure is the point. And now as a culture, we need to get back to that age. We need to get back to that place where we just fully express ourselves and our impulses. It's saying, essentially, that the definition of freedom in the secular framework, is the freedom to indulge my flesh and to act on my desires without restraint, without limitation. That's freedom. And if you're viewing life through that lens, which millions of Americans do, then Christianity and the church actually becomes the bad guy. It's superstitious, believes in that crazy spiritual realm of existence. It's full of authority. It's full of commitment. It has all sorts of thoughts on what is right and what is wrong. It is holding us back 
from reclaiming that ancient utopian dream of freedom and pleasure. In fact, when it comes to sexuality, it's actually repressive. It is evil. To tell a man that he cannot sleep with another man is evil. To tell an unmarried person that they can't just have sex with whoever they want, it, that's repressive. You're, you're repressing their identity. You're repressing their sexuality. And, and hence, you have this strange shift that's taken place in recent decades where Christianity has gone from having the moral high ground in our culture to now having the, the moral low ground in the eyes of our culture. It wasn't that long ago that people would say, I can't come to your church, I'm not, what? Good enough. I'm not good enough, I'm not moral enough. But the new cultural voice actually says, I can't come to your church because you're not moral enough. You are immoral. You are bigoted. You are a suppressor. You are grinding against what it means to be human and pursue pleasure. You are the enemy. We now find ourselves being accused of the moral low ground. How did that happen? Well, we shifted the story about what it means to be human. And it's gained major ground in recent decades. Rewind to the 1960s, and it's the peak of Christianity in all of American history. And then, coming off of that peak, you have the reaction against. You have the 70s. You have sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You have, hey, go out, sleep with whoever you want, do whatever feels good, no right and wrong, no thought of consequences, God isn't there, and, and off it goes. Pursue pleasure, that is the point of your life. And, and, and that voice, that movement, that, that really gained force in the 70s is, is charging straight on today. Same voice, same idea. But the problem is that in the midst of a movement that's all about freedom, in the end of the day, we are not free. We are enslaved. In our pursuit of pleasure, we are not satisfied. In our pursuit of happiness, we are not happy. In fact, by the numbers, uh, this secular experiment that we've been living in has been a disaster. Since the 1960s, happiness and satisfaction have been consistently dropping and anxiety and depression have been consistently rising. Year over year, decade over decade. The secular dream, with all of its allure, has turned into a nightmare. And it is failing us on a massive scale. 
Mark Sayers says it this way. He says, the fate of every revolutionary is to wake up one day and to discover that the revolution that you'd hoped for has come, but that it's nothing like you thought it would be. And we are living proof. This is the moment that we are living in. Uh, the uh, hollow and deceptive philosophy, this false narrative about freedom, has taken millions of people captive inside and outside of the church. We have this new definition of freedom, and the results are disastrous. Anxiety, depression, Loneliness, isolation, no meaning, no purpose, no identity. Addicted to the very things that we thought would set us free. So the first takeaway, if you're taking notes this morning, is that as a witness, we have to reject the culture's false narrative of freedom. We have to grasp what it is that's being preached, that's embedded in our movies, in our advertising, in the air that we breathe. We have to call that out and reject it. We live in a culture of slaves that tell us they're free. And we exist as a community of freedom that the world says is slavery. That the true slavery and true freedom are now reversed in the minds of the culture. And on a cultural level, we're reaping the consequences. As witnesses to Jesus, we cannot afford to be colonized by this way of thinking. We cannot afford to say that freedom is slavery and slavery is freedom. But millions of marginal Christians are walking away from their faith because they are seduced by a false promise of freedom. The culture says that freedom is the ability to indulge your flesh, to live out every desire, no matter how broken. The Bible says that freedom is actually freedom from your flesh. It is victory over your flesh. The scriptures describe a world in which humanity is enslaved to Satan, sin, and death. We are enslaved to our own corrupted hearts, to our corrupted desires. Uh, and, and so what we need is to be actually freed from our old selves. Uh, we need to uh, put our flesh to death because as Romans 6 says, you are slaves to the one that you obey. Interesting. The culture does not think of it this way. They say obeying the flesh is freedom. The Bible says that's slavery. You're enslaved to the flesh laboring under the oppressive rule of Satan, sin, and death. 
a dark world of diminishing marginal returns where pleasure, what was promised, is actually fleeting and, and the future, as you look out beyond death, is, is actually hopeless. That is not freedom. And hence, Christ comes to bring true freedom from humanity's true enemies. And He is the only one who can. So you can be confident, number two, that you carry into the world the only means of true freedom. The culture says throw off all restraint and pursue pleasure in, in a godless world. This is the hollow and empty philosophy that we inherited. But the reality is that it leaves us in bondage without God and without hope in the world. There is only one source of freedom. There is only one source of abundant life. There is only one way to exit slavery to Satan, sin, and death. Only in Jesus can we be released from those things. Ransomed, redeemed, bought back, set free. There is only one source of freedom. Only in Him can our flesh be put to death, joined with Him in crucifixion. Only in Him can we become new creations, joined with Him in resurrection. If the human problem is actually religion and authority, and the solution is then to be radical individuals who pursue our own pleasure, then there's a thousand different ways you can get about that. But if the real human problem is Satan, sin, and death, if the human problem is that we are enslaved to our own broken impulses, and we need a radical rebirth, then there's only one answer. There's only one source of freedom in the universe. And you know His name. Which brings me to my final point. We'll end here. Because you know Jesus, or rather because you are, are known by Him, you and I have the incredible joy of not just announcing the true narrative about freedom to a culture of slaves, but we actually get to experience it as well. We get to walk in the joy and the radical freedom that we have in Jesus. And there are aspects of that freedom which most of us experience immediately upon giving our lives to Christ. And then there are degrees of freedom that must be laid a hold of over time. The moment you give your life to Christ, the truest thing about you is that you are a new creation. You are free. 
right then, right there, by the grace of God, you are free. You have the righteousness of Christ. You are more than a conqueror in Him. Sin shall no longer be master over you, as a fact, just because of who you are. New reality, sin shall no longer be master over you. You are free. And yet this radical freedom is something that we, that we have to work out, that we have to grow in our experience of over time. And I can see this in my own life. Uh, when I came to Christ as a freshman in college, I was living out the culture's version of sexual freedom, which is actually bondage. Uh, I was raised in the cultural narrative that we've been unpacking today. It was my worldview. And there were aspects of that sexual bondage that fell away the instant I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't even ask for it. I just gave my life to Christ. I started experiencing transformation in Him and a bunch of stuff just fell away, never to return again. But there are other aspects that took years to work out, that took years to fall away. This is why the Scriptures say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're already saved. You already have the righteousness of Christ. You don't need to strive. You don't have to earn. By grace, it's done. It is finished. It's already yours. You are a new creation in Him. Now, we go and work out that salvation. Now we go and, and grow in our experience of our own new creationness, going from one degree of freedom to another as we walk with Christ. It's for our great benefit and for His incredible joy. For in the words of Paul, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, none of us perfect, um, but all of us full of your righteousness, Lord. Uh, and I, I pray that if there's anyone here uh, who was like me up until age 19, age 20, whatever it was, uh, if there's anyone here who only has a secular framework to work with, who only has the fleeting pursuit of pleasure and, and death without hope, lying ahead of them. Oh, God, I pray this morning um, that, that they would just surrender to you. That they would take the step that um, most of us in the room have taken already, which is just to surrender to you, to say, Jesus, I, I don't want to live for pleasure. I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to live without hope. I don't want to buy into the secular narrative about what it means to be human. 
and, and to reap anxiety and depression and loneliness and isolation and confusion and a future without hope. And so if, if that describes you this morning, I'd encourage you to very simply just place your hope, your faith, your trust in Jesus and just surrender to him. And Lord, for uh, the rest of us in the room who uh, already have surrendered, perhaps this is a good moment for us to surrender again. To recognize that as we go out and engage the world for you, hopefully we are rubbing off on the world, uh, but the reverse can also be true. The the world can rub off on us. And so over time, we begin to uh, collect these mentalities to be molded by these uh, worldviews. And if we're honest, Lord, a lot of us in the room, we belong to you, but we've got a foot in both worlds. We're trying to believe what you say about freedom, and at the same time, we're believing what the world says about freedom. We're believing what the world says about commitment and community and authority and all those things we've been trained to reject. And yet you say, you, you can't have freedom. Without, without coming under the authority of Jesus. We, you can't have freedom without coming into the community of God. And so, Lord, we, we surrender to you, to your truth about humanity, to your truth about freedom. And we surrender to your spirit this morning. I think of the scripture that says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. My goodness, how we're hungry for that this morning, Jesus. We we are hungry to go from our current degree of freedom to a greater degree of freedom in you. So we take a moment now, Lord, before we um, even head into worship officially, just wait on you, to wait on your spirit, to wait on your presence, recognizing that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom.